so God is, has been speaking to us, and, and He's been encouraging us. And so over the last few weeks, I've really felt led by God um, to talk about purpose, to talk about vision, to talk about our purpose as individuals and our purpose as a church, and uh, to raise the level of our faith to seeing in the Spirit what it is that God has for us, for our lives. And I feel like God has really been challenging me and challenging us as a church to move beyond kind of the temporal pursuits of life, to move beyond the ordinary, to move beyond the mundane and the, and the things that just consume our time. And, and, and we're all involved with that. It's part of life. We do the ordinary. We go through the steps. We all have routine. But God wants us to have a vision that's bigger than just the routine. God wants us to understand our meaning and, and our purpose and our, our, our destiny, our calling in Him, and to have our eyes fixed on Him for the things in life that really matter. God wants us to be aware of the call of God. Are you aware of the call of God on your own life this morning? Are you aware that you're not just here to, to, to breathe air and, and to kind of live out an ordinary existence and then to pass on one day? Are you aware that God has more for your life? And in this moment, you might be doing what I spoke about last week, uh, which is disqualifying yourself. Yeah, God has that for other people, but you know, I haven't quite lived the kind of life that would qualify me as called. But that's not how it works. God doesn't wait for us to be qualified before He calls us. The whole, if you just go and read the Bible, He consistently calls the unqualified because that's how He reveals His glory. That's how He reveals His grace. That's how He shows us His truth. And so you may be the most unlikely candidate today for somebody to be used as somebody that would be used by God, and that makes you, in fact, the perfect candidate. That means that you are the, exactly the kind of person that God will use to shape a city, that God will use to reach people's lives. And so we've been, we've been talking about this, and we've been, we've been challenged by the Holy Spirit and by the Scriptures to become more aware of God's call on our lives and to fight the good fight of faith to put our trust in what God has for us and in His promises and to not allow ourselves to become disheartened in pursuing the things that God has for us and, and, and to live our lives with this big picture in mind. We want to see the big picture. We want to know the why. We want to know what it is that we're here to do. You know, Christians have become very good at the how and very bad at the why. Like we know all the Christian things that we're supposed to do, but we lose sight of why we actually do them. And um, God has just been been enlarging our vision and our hearts to understand this. And so over these next two weeks, today and next week, I'd like to continue in this theme. Um, and as I was writing this message, I was reminded of a time when Will and I were on an expedition um, in, uh, in, in, in uh, northern Montana uh, near the upper Missouri River. And uh, Will and I, remember this, Will, we were just trekking um, through the forest, kind of near a ravine. It was very snowy. It's very cold up there. And we were just trekking Along And at some point, we got separated. And so I was walking along, wondering where Will actually was. And I don't know, uh, he was just lagging behind a little bit. He got caught up by something. And I'm walking next to this ravine. And the next thing, I hear this noise behind me. It's kind of this, this growling, grunting sound. And I turn around just in time to see this massive grizzly bear running straight at me. It was a mother grizzly bear. It was defending its cubs. And uh, it jumped on top of me and just started mauling me, man. It was the most gruesome thing you'd ever seen. And it just started like biting into me, slashed my neck open, took a chunk out my shoulder. And so eventually I was pretending to just kind of be dead. And uh, okay, this wasn't really me. Um, this is actually a scene from The Revenant. Um, 
But Will and I did watch it together last Sunday night, so <laughs> it's kind of like we were there, okay? It felt very real to us. We were like enthralled. It's like the best animal mauling scene ever. Um, but kind of off the back of that, I'd like to talk to you today um, and share with you on this message called True Grit. Uh, True Grit. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you right now, just bump them a little bit and just say True Grit. Turn to the person on the other side, your second choice, and just be like, I've got true grit. I've got true grit. Okay, I'm going to start off in, in Revelation 14. Um, it's not often that I start off in, in the book of Revelation, but Revelation 14, 12 um, says this. It says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. We're called for endurance. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. There is a call that we would endure. After that, I want you also just to go to Romans chapter number five. So I want to really encourage our church to start bringing Bibles, like actual Bibles that still has pages. You know, the, um, the devil doesn't fear electronics. He only fears like the old school Bibles with pages. Bring them along, bring a pen, bring some notebooks and, and, and make some notes, uh, especially because in a couple of weeks' time on the 26th of Feb, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series like we've done every year. Our first year together as a church, we did the book of Acts, and then last year we did the book of John. And this year, even though it's a book that most people um, would recommend you only go through when you're much later on in your journey in ministry, um, I, I just felt like it speaks so clearly to us. And so we're going to start a series in the book of Romans um, starting on the 26th of Feb, and I'm really excited about that. So get into the habit of bringing your Bibles through. Uh, but Romans 5 and verse 2, I'm just going to read a couple of verses here from Romans 5, and verse, starting at verse 2. It says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Jesus, we've received access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Another translation says it this way, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. I love that image of God's, God's love just being splashed across the walls of our heart. And, um, and, and we're very grateful to God for that. Um, I'm going to share a message with you today entitled True Grit. But before I do that, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much today for your presence right now, God. For the strength and the hope and the faith that you are inspiring in our hearts through the Holy Spirit at this moment. We thank you, God, that regardless of what we may be facing in our lives right now, regardless of how difficult the situation may be, regardless at, uh, of how large the storm that we are coming up against might, se might seem right now, we are grateful to know that you are present with us, that you are our strength, that you are our rock, that you are our shield, and that in you we can hope, and we know that our hope will not be disappointed. We thank you, God, for your goodness. 
And we thank you that you are speaking to us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I recently read a book, um, which some of you may have seen or heard about, um, by a psychologist called Angela Duckworth. Now, Angela Duckworth didn't start out as a psychologist. She started out as a teacher, and she was teaching kids in her school and uh, realized that the kids that were the most intelligent and had the highest IQ weren't necessarily the kids that were doing the best in school, that were achieving the best grades and the best results. And then she found that there were kids that were a lot less intelligent and had a lot uh, less of an IQ or a lower IQ, but were for some reason outperforming those that were more intelligent. And so this really intrigued her, and, and uh, kind of after starting to do some preliminary studies on that, she decided to go back to graduate school and actually go and study psychology. And she graduated in psychology and then took on a research team and a research project and started to research what is it that causes people to be successful in life? What is it that causes people to be able to, to outperform others and to reach the pinnacles of their industry? What is it that, that drives people and, and, that, and, that, and that produces success? They wanted to find a predictor of success. And so they went to all these different formats and, and platforms where people have to succeed. They went to West Point Military Academy and they tried to predict which of the Marines would actually qualify and would, and would be able to, to complete their training as opposed to those that were for, would fall out. And they went into sports teams and looked at which of the, of, of the players um, would have the, the most longevity within that team and, and produce the best results. They went to many, many companies and, and looked at those companies. And they went to colleges and, and, and they tried to see which, what is the, the determining factor between those who succeed and those who don't. And most people would hazard a guess to say, well, it was probably the people that were the most gifted, the people that were the most talented, the people that um, you know, ha were the smartest. But often, those elements had nothing to do with success. How smart you are or how talented or gifted you are had nothing to do with whether or not you became successful. And at the end of the study, they found that the people who succeeded were quite simply those who didn't give up. Just quite simply, those who refused to give up, no matter what their level of intelligence or giftedness was, they wouldn't give up. They kept on going. And so this study has concluded that the key characteristic which emerges as a predictor to success is grit. It's having grit. It's being gritty. It's, it's not giving up. It's being willing to push through and to persevere to pursue a future goal over a long period of time, regardless of what obstacles you may face on the way. It means having stamina. It means having endurance. Here is the call of endurance for the saints. We're called to endure in the same way. It means uh, going on no matter what disappointments you may face and what hardships you may face. It's basically Leonardo DiCaprio crawling through the snow after having been mauled by a bear. That's how you endure. That's how you get an Oscar. Right? It's through endurance, not giving up. And believe it or not, the Bible calls us to have grit. It calls us as believers to have some backbone, to have some strength, to have some foundation, to know what we stand on, to have a vision for our lives, and to push for it no matter what happens. To have true grit. The Bible calls us to have this kind of grit in fulfilling and being obedient to God's plan for our lives. 
to be faithful and hopeful as we take this journey of following Jesus. And here's the thing, the Bible knows that we need this because it never promises a smooth ride. It never tells us that there won't be obstacles on the road. It never tells us that everything will just go the way that you planned. When, when you're younger, like I, I remember being in my early 20s and being like, life is going to go exactly the way I planned, right? Like I'm gonna, it's going to be amazing all the way through. And if I can just kind of keep it together, I'm never going to have any real issues. <laughs> and then like a decade later, you're like, Jesus, <laughs> I was wrong, <laughs> This didn't go at all the way that I thought it would go. So many disappointments, so many hardships, so many difficulties, so many setbacks, so many things that we were like, are we going to get back? Are we going to be able to come back from this? So the Bible never says that when you step up to the plate and when you take on the call of God for your life and when you engage with God's journey, that everything's just going to work out perfectly. And, and, and I think that there may even be a hint of this in some people's theology where they think that being a Christian means I have no problems because I'm just so above it all. And it's actually the opposite, once again, of what we see in the scriptures. Every single person who engaged with God's plan for their lives had to go through difficult times, had to fight the good fight of faith, had to stand strong regardless of what was coming against them. So what the Bible gives us is a foundation, not a smooth ride. It's the rock upon which we build our house, not the promise of no storm. It says that when you build your house on this foundation, on the truth of God, on the truth of your calling, on the truth of your identity, then the storms can come and they will beat against your house and the floods will come and rush against it and, 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 and the wind will beat against your house, but it will stand. That's the promise of scripture. It promises grit. It promises a foundation for us to stand on. And it tells us that often this is gonna be hard. Unfortunately, we live in a world that is absolutely obsessed with instant gratification. And our generation, possibly more than any other generation before it, is obsessed with instant gratification. We don't wanna wait for anything anymore. In fact, there's an app for everything, okay? If you wanna order some food, there's an app for that. If you wanna travel somewhere, there's an app for that. If you wanna buy clothes, there's an app for that. If you wanna watch a movie, there's an app for that. If you wanna find a date, there's an app for that. Some of you are like, can you just mention which one it is? I, I need some help over here. <laughs> but we don't want to wait for anything anymore. We don't want to commit to any kind of a process. We just want to get what we want and then move on to getting the next thing that we want. And that's how we've become through technology and through all the advancements in our world and, and through some of our upbringing and through the kind of trends that are running through this generation. That's, that's kind of the, 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 the thought pattern that we have, the attitude that we have. And unfortunately, when it comes to our faith, we still do the same thing. What do you mean I need to go through a process to become the person that God wants me to be? No, I just want to be the person. I just want to be it right now. And, and so you'll tell yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm everything I need to be right now. I don't need to hear anything. I don't need to learn. I don't need to grow. I don't need to listen when the pastor's preaching. I've heard this all before. I don't need to read my Bible. I'm just, I just kind of want it instantly. But there's some things that God won't let us short circuit. There's some things that God's like, even though you think you've got it all together, I'm going to show you all the deep and expensive things that I still want to do in your life. Now, the thing about being young and being immature is that you don't know that you're young or immature. 
you only learn that when you become mature. And you're like, oh, I was immature, right? It's kind of like a hindsight thing. And so God sees that perspective. He knows, even right now, even though we think we've arrived at a certain point, he's like, I've got so much more for you. He has a greater perspective and a, and a greater journey that he wants to lead us into. And so he calls us to endure, even when we don't understand. He calls us to be committed, even when things are uncomfortable. He calls us to stand on the truth as opposed to on our own comfort or our own needs. C.S. Lewis kind of talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity, where he says that when people come to Christianity looking for comfort, they normally end up with just some wishy-washy kind of a, a thing that's just feel-good thing. But when you look for truth, it's sometimes uncomfortable, but promises unspeakable comfort in the end. It's not always comfortable up front, but it speaks unspeakable comfort in the end. And so we're a little bit addicted to comfort. We're a little bit addicted to having things the way that we want it. And, and even when it comes to church, people treat church this way. You know, they come on a Sunday, get what they want, and they duck. They're just out. And we kind of, people begin to treat church like a, like a service industry, like a restaurant or, or, or something like that. I remember going to a restaurant once and sitting down and watching just waiters and, and waitresses just pass me by. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You sat down and, uh, and nobody kind of came to your table. And after about 10 minutes of nobody serving me, I got up and I left. Because I was like, I'm so, yeah, I came here so that I wouldn't have to make food myself. Um, I, I could have done this at home and I would have eaten by now. And so um, some people treat church that way. They come into church and they're like, if I don't get the kind of service that I want, then I'm out. If, I don't, if this church doesn't do the things I want it to do, if it doesn't meet my needs in the way that I want them to be met, I'll just go somewhere else. And what we do when we take this kind of attitude is that we actually sabotage our own process oftentimes. We actually sh take shortcuts that, that, that robs us of some of the, the deep things and the, and the ways in which God wants to, to use us and to speak to us. God wants to do something deeper and he wants to produce a commitment. And you know, we, we're so desperate as people for community. Like, we're desperate to have a place where we can truly belong. But the irony is, is that community is the one thing that you cannot have without commitment. So we've got a generation that is desperate for, for, for community, but doesn't really believe in commitment. And then they wonder why they're lonely. They wonder why they're not able to engage as well with what God has for them. You might be here today and say, why, why is he talking about commitment? I thought church was, was family. But do you think family can exist without commitment? Imagine if when my wife and I, when we got married um, almost 11 years ago now, and uh, we went off on honeymoon, and we had a great honeymoon, and we came back, and we're moving into our first place. And imagine if we had an argument there in that like, first week back from honeymoon. And, and in that first argument, I was like, okay, that's it. This is not what I signed up for. I thought this was going to be a happy place. I thought that this was just going to be family, and so I'm out. Imagine if, if we did that with our families. You wouldn't have a family to go home to. I wouldn't have the kids that I have today. I wouldn't have my wife at my side today. Because sometimes in marriage and in family and in church and in any other thing that's worthwhile in life, we have to push through the difficult times in order to enjoy the good times. 
We have to remain committed when it seems like all hope is lost so that we can enjoy the goodness of our faithfulness later on. And this is a reward that God knows he has for us. And he's like, if you would just hold on, if you would just hold on and be committed. But when we give up, not just with church, but in our career and in your marriage and in pursuing the calling that God has for your life, you're going to miss out on something really important that God was going to do. On some real blessings, far greater than any earthly blessing that we could have. So I want to encourage you today, church. Stick it out. Have some grit. Be led by the Holy Spirit in your commitment. You see, some people are completely ruled by external factors. I'll be committed if they treat me right. I'll be committed if everything goes well. I'll be committed if I feel that the people I'm committed to are committed to me. But the moment they aren't, I'm out. It's not true commitment. You see, we stay committed not on the basis of what people are doing, not on the basis of external factors, but on the basis of who we are in Christ. We are committed people. That's who we are. We are people who are able to endure. That's who we are. We are faithful people. That's who we are by the grace of God. And so because that's our identity, that's what we do. In spite of what the external circumstances might be forcing us into and pushing us into. Does it make sense? When you love somebody, you don't love them because they love you. You love them because you know that you're loved by God and that you love from the core of who you actually are. That's, that's how commitment works. And God wants to work this in us. He wants to become, cause us to become more like Jesus. So scripture, again and again and again, calls us to persevere, to endure, to remain faithful, to hold on, and to do so, not in our own strength, but by faith. That's actually what true grit is. That verse that I read in the beginning, Revelations 14, 12, it says, here is the call for the endurance of, of the saints, and I want to just focus on this one bit f- uh, first, where it says, those who keep their faith in Jesus. Here is the call, to endure, keep your faith in Jesus. I've just got two points today. The first one is that true grit equals true faith. That's actually what true grit is. It is true faith. Because we don't persevere in our own strength. We don't hold on and fight and remain committed because we think we have what it takes. We know already that we don't have what it takes. That's no news to us. We failed at a hundred things already and we've been uncommitted and unfaithful to a thousand things already. So we know that we're not good at being faithful and committed, but standing in the grace of God, we have the ability to endure. When you believe in God's process for your life, when you believe in his involvement in your difficulty, you go, I'm gonna stay committed, I'm gonna have true grit, not because I think I'm strong, but because I know that God is with me. Therefore, I can hold on. The whole, pers- the whole point, in fact, of God putting us through these persevering times, times in which we have to persevere, is so that we can reach the end of ourselves. That's the exact point of the whole thing. The Bible in the book of James calls it the testing of your faith, which isn't to test like a quiz, like a quick pop quiz, like, hey, let's see if you really have faith. No, it's to prove your faith. 
the way that something gets purified. It's to purify your faith, to strengthen it, to build it up, to enlarge it. And so God will often allow us to face difficult situations because in that moment, He's showing you the end of yourself and the beginning of His grace, the beginning of His strength. It produces faith within us. Romans 4.18 talks about Abraham. And he is known as the father of faith because of his willingness to believe in God in spite of the odds. And in Romans 4.18 it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, So shall your offspring be. He got a promise from God that he would have offspring that would outnumber uh, the, uh, the stars in the sky. And then he's 99 years old and he has no kids. <laughs> That's against all hope, okay? <laughs> Your time has come and gone at that point. His wife was 90, just to make it worse. But you know what? Even though the circumstances didn't look like the fulfillment was ever going to come. He kept his eyes on the promise. And so against all hope, in hope he believed. What's your circumstance today? What's your situation where you've limited God? You're like, I'm I'm far gone. I'm, I'm past the point where God could actually do something. It's impossible now. And God says, against all hope, in hope believe. Endure. Keep your faith. Hold on to what Jesus has for you. Abraham chose to stand in the grace of God. And so he inherited the promise that God had for his life. Romans 5, as we read in the beginning, says, Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I love that because grace didn't just save you from your past. It wasn't, okay, I I used to need grace, but now I'm, you know, I have to do it by myself. You stand in the grace that you got access through, into, through faith. We stand in it. We stand by it. We establish our lives in it. And we rejoice in hope. And when you read that whole verse, like when I read this verse, maybe it's just me, but when I read, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Like some of that's just like, it's like, it sounds so pretty and so religious and it's like, I feel like I need a choir when I preach that verse, right? Like, I need somebody like doing some, some frills and some runs on, a, on, a, on some keys and an organ back here and need some people shouting me down. Like, I feel like that's the kind of verse that, that would be super applicable to. And so we can fall into the trap of thinking that this is a very lofty kind of verse that doesn't really mean anything for our lives. But don't be fooled. This is a very gritty verse. This verse is pure grit. Because it says we stand in grace through our faith in Jesus. We stand and we are filled with hope so that we await the revealing of the glory of God in every situation. This is a strong verse. This is a gritty verse. And it goes on to say, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice when we suffer. That's not normally our first response to suffering, is it? Normally it's like, 
I need to get out of this. How can I get out of this? How can I make a plan to get out of this? I need to get rid of this suffering. I need to just, what is going on, God? Like, where are you, God? Have you forgotten me, God? And our first prayer isn't a prayer of joy. God, I'm so thankful for this hard thing I'm going through right now. Our first prayer is normally, God, what are you doing? Get me out of this. This is not what I signed up for, right? But this scripture says that when you know the gospel, when you know the grace in which you stand, you're not looking for an escape hatch every three seconds. You can actually rejoice in your suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's producing something. And endurance produces character, maturity in your life. And character produces hope. When you come to the maturity of faith, James again says that we go through these hardships, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you suffer trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith, and he goes on and he says, it eventually brings you to maturity, completeness, where you're lacking nothing. So it actually does something so significant, so, so expensive, so rich in your life. Do we want to just live shallow Christian lives? where we throw cliches at each other and chuckle and go home and have lunch? Or do we want to get stuck in to the process that God has for us? To see God do something incredible. Are we gonna have the grit to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus through faith so that we can see God do all the things that he has promised that he would do in our lives and, and through our church? That's what, that's what God wants for us. He wants to produce endurance and character and hope. And, our, and it says that our hope will not be disappointed. It says in that last verse in, in, in Romans 5, 5, it says that our hope will not be disappointed. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. In other words, we already have, we already have a deposit. We already experience the hope. It's, not, it's like it's something out there that we don't have yet. It's already on the inside of us. So we know it's true and, and it won't disappoint. We know that ultimately God will work all things together for good. I remember when my family and I, um, we were all on holiday, we were kids still, and um, we were walking along the Durban beachfront, and, um, and somebody came out to us with a little, a little plastic tub, and they were like, hey, um, you know, they went to one of my younger siblings and said, you can draw a, a little piece of paper out of this, and you could win something, and so we watched, and, and uh, my little sister pulled something out and opened it up, and it was like, what? We won a free cruise for the whole family to like the Mediterranean or something, and it was this incredible gift, and we're like, whoa, so like, can we also, and so we all drew, and all of us had these amazing gifts, and we're like, this is amazing, like, God is blessing us, we are just, we're going on holiday, we're getting a new car, you know, our, our bond is going to be half paid off, we've got all these things that we've now won from this plastic tub, and we just thought we were coming on holiday, and, uh, and so they're like, you just, in order to claim your prize, you have to come upstairs to this office, and so the whole family went upstairs to this office, and then they took my parents into another room, we're like, this is getting weird, and uh, they had to go through an hour-long presentation, and I remember my parents coming out going, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you, and, and it was just a sales ploy, it was like there were so many conditions attached, there was hope, 
but there was no guarantee to the hope. There was no deposit of the hope. There was no, here are the tickets, let's now talk. You had to do a bunch of stuff in order to get the tickets. And what the scripture says is that the hope that we have in God doesn't disappoint, and we already have the guarantee. We already have the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We already have the deposit of eternal life on the inside of us and the deposit of God's love. And so we know that this is faithful. We know that this is true. The hope of God is bankable. It's trustworthy. And we can experience it today. So true grit is true faith. It means holding on to what you believe about God's love for you in spite of what you're going through right now. And that's why it is so important for us to preach the love of God and the grace of God. Because if you're not convinced that God loves you and cares for you and is with you in the fight, you'll give up. You'll give up when the hard times come. But when you know that God is with you and you know his heart, you'll persevere. So true grit means having true faith. It then says, those who keep the commandments of God. Here is the call for endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God. And so true grit and true faith equals true obedience. True faith equals true obedience. Now, obedience is a subject that we're not quite sure what to do with within scriptures because, you know, it, it challenges us sometimes. And, and, and we have this idea that God is like those guys who try to sell us stuff, um, you know, on, on the Durban beachfront. God is kind of just getting us into a room where he's now going to sell us a bunch of other things. It's kind of a bait and switch. Hey, do you want grace? But you've got to obey, you know. And, and, and so we kind, of, we kind of feel sometimes, and I know a lot of people do feel this way, that God baits and switches. Like he offers them grace and then instead he calls them to obedience. But the truth is, is that God doesn't have to tell us to obey because when we've experienced his love and his grace, we'll want to obey. We'll want the love of God for our lives. And so true faith is actually the beginning of true obedience. Oftentimes your obedience before true faith or before knowing the grace of God is self-righteousness, which is true faith in your own ability not true faith in what God's done for you on the cross. Does that make sense? So true faith is true obedience, those who keep the commandments of God. In the context of the New Testament, obedience is faith. It means believing. It's more than just doing what the Bible tells us to do. It's believing in the God who calls us to certain things. It's believing and resting in Jesus. Romans 1 verse 4 to 5 says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Faith is obedience. For the sake of the nations, for the sake of his name among the nations. Hebrews 4.11 says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Lest, we, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. <laughs> so here's the thing. If, you don't, if you're not diligent to rest in Jesus, which comes through believing and putting your faith in Jesus, then you're actually being disobedient. See, we thought being disobedient just means doing things that are wrong. No, those are the symptoms of a lack of faith. The heart of disobedience is when we fail to put our trust in Jesus. And that's why the most religious people can oftentimes be the most disobedient people. 
When Jesus came to earth, he didn't worry about the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. He hung out with them. He had a lot to share with them. His harshest words were reserved for the religious people because they didn't have faith in God. They had faith in their own ability. So be diligent to rest. Be diligent to rest, lest we disobey. If you don't rest in Jesus, if we don't rest in what Jesus has done for us, we're not trusting what he said he did for us, that it's actually true, that it actually applies to our lives. And when we don't trust in Jesus, that is the context of disobedience. But when you trust him, you trust his voice. You trust when he calls you to do something that it's because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he has more for you. And so it produces grit because you go, God is calling me to do this and I believe it's gonna bless me to do it. I believe that it's true and it's right and it's liberating for me to be obedient to God. Some people think they need to work on their obedience. They don't, they need to work on their faith in order to become obedient. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, faith is the fountain, the foundation, and the fosterer of obedience. Men obey not God till they believe him. We preach faith in order that men may be brought to obedience. To disbelieve is to disobey. Faith is the morning star of obedience. True grit is true faith, and true faith is true obedience. Hebrews 11.8, and I'm almost done this morning. My last scripture says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. How did he obey? By faith. God called him. It didn't make sense to him. It even says there in that next little bit, it says, and he went out not knowing where he was going to. It wasn't all explained. God doesn't get us to be obedient by saying, hey, let me just tell you what my five-year plan is for your life. You're gonna love this. And, and, and hopefully if I've explained it all to you, you can weigh up the pros and the cons and you can decide whether or not you'd like to come with me as I lead you into the future. That's not what God does. He comes to you, you don't understand it, it doesn't make sense, he doesn't explain it, he just goes, follow me. Follow me. The only way you're gonna take that step is by faith. Faith produces obedience. This is the context of obedience in scripture. And when you believe, your obedience is also prompt. It's immediate. When God called Abraham, after those 99 years of waiting for a son, now he has a son, his son is, is just old enough to help around the house, which is a time all parents hope and pray for. And he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to go up into a certain mountain, which I will show you in the region of Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham gets the wood, okay? Doesn't make sense. I waited a long time for this. Doesn't make sense. But I believe you, God. And so he puts the wood on his son's back, and this was a prophetic image, actually, of Jesus carrying the wood up the hill to be sacrificed by his father, the one son whom he loved. It's a picture of Jesus. But Abraham didn't know that at that point. 
God didn't explain that part of the, of the process to him. He just said, I want you to be obedient. And the Bible actually tells us that Abraham knew that even if he sacrificed his son, God would be able to raise him from the dead again. That's why Abraham's the father of faith. Because righteousness for us comes when we believe that God was able to raise his son from the dead. And so, as he's about to do it, God stops him and says, no, I was, I was helping to deepen your faith. Don't worry, I will provide a ram for the sacrifice. And that it was a prophetic statement about Jesus. But instant obedience. Why? Because he believed in God. He believed in God. He had faith in God's ability and God's, God's faithfulness. So when God asks us, when God asks you to do difficult things, if we have faith in His ability and in His goodness, we'll obey. We'll obey instantly. And we'll stay true in any situation. Grit. We'll persevere through all the difficulties when it doesn't make sense because we know that we believe in God. And we'll stay the course that God has for us. And we do this because we know that God has so much more in store for us than what we could ever imagine. So I'm calling us all, and I believe God is calling us, church, to a higher level of commitment, to a higher level of faith. I think God is calling us to be big in our faith, to be big in our trust. And I'm telling you this morning that I'm going to stick it out. And I'm hoping that you'll stick it out with me as we pursue the plan and the purposes that God has for our lives. And we trust God to fulfill every promise that he has ever spoken over us as individuals, as families, and as a church. By faith, we'll have true grit. And we'll see God do miraculous things. Amen? You believe that today? Come on, let's, let's pray together.